Psalm 121. Psalm is a psalmist that is somewhat unknown to some. We don't know who wrote it, but I kind of believe David sung it for a few reasons. I, I still strongly believe that Paul wrote Hebrews for a few reasons. However, it is someone that knows the Lord. It's someone that knows the Lord on a very intimate level and can trust the Lord so much so that he knows where to turn, where to look. He begins in verse 1 by saying, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Now, the psalmist, he begins by a personal decision that he puts forth in his song saying, I will lift up my eyes. And it's a conscious decision that he makes to lift up his eyes. It's a purposeful one. It's something that he decides to do, that he would lift up his eyes uh, to a certain place. Uh, this is uh, obvious that that place uh, that he's looking up is where the Lord is found. The Lord is in that direction, looking up in that direction. It's the right direction. And we look up and we lift up our eyes. Uh, and so... Uh, when someone's asking or looking for help, indicates to us that they're in trouble, or it can simply, um, you know, minister to us in such a way that whatever that person is going through is out of their control. It, it, you know, they've they've come to the point of impossibility. They need an extended hand of help. They need someone to help them out of whatever it is that they're going through. And so we see here the psalmist simply saying that my help comes from the Lord. We're going to see that in a moment. And I lift up my eyes purposely, and this is where I direct my eyes from. Uh, you know, when, you, when you're down and out and you're discouraged, or you have, you're hanging your head low in your arms and you're just you know, discouraged, you have to purposely make a decision to say, I'm going to look up. And you can stay down in the dumps as much as you can, but when someone is sinking in the ocean, and you know they're not going to look down. They, they want to lift up their heads and cry out for help. Someone's down and they're hurt. They want to lift up and cry for help. So the natural incl inclination is to lift up you, you know, your head uh, in the right direction to ask for help. And he knew that he could lift up his head. He made a purpose decision, his eyes, to look up for help. Now... The truth is, we always need the Lord. But there are certain circumstances and situations that only intensify the fact that we need the Lord and we must purposely run to Him when those problems arise. We cannot deny. We cannot deny that certain circumstances and troubles only highlight the fact that we need God. That's all they do. We need God always. We can't breathe without Him. He gives us the breath of life. He could take our soul. But problems, circumstances and issues only intensify and bring to our attention that we need the Lord. And, and, and when certain things happen, that's where we turn. We look up and say, Lord, I need you. Not that you didn't need him before, but it's intensified. You know, it's just brought to your attention. That's all it is. We need the Lord 24-7. But certain things cause us to look up to the Lord, listen, in a very special way, we cannot deny that. We don't use God, but uh, there are times of need where we come to Him in a very special way. Undeniable. And the way we, you know, 
look is up and we have to make that purposeful decision that we look up straight away when we're in trouble. I don't know about you, but when, when something happens to my children or there is a certain indication that takes place that out of the ordinary, things are going well, I'm like, oh, no. You know, oh. And then later on, I'm just like, I need to go to the Lord re- regarding this. And that's fine because your natural reaction is, what's happened? Right. I would like to come before the Lord when something happens straight away and say, let's pray. Let's commit this to the Lord. And try to, you know, lessen that time from worrying and fretting and trying to work it out ourselves. And, and uh, you know, I guarantee you, uh, the time that you stop to pray for a moment can do wonders. You've included someone that can handle a situation, listen, way better than we can. But the truth of the matter is that God, and we're going to see in a moment, even as children of God, if we don't respond in the right way, He's watching over us and He's keeping us. You know, God is so gracious. He's so gracious in how He looks after His children. And really what God is trying to do in every circumstance is help us trust Him with all our hearts. And the moment that we don't is not the moment that He scolded us. He actually helps us to rely on Him more and more. It's only when we fall in sin and we're stubborn, don't want to repent, when He really puts the firm hand of correction upon us. But when He's trying to deal with us, when circumstances arise and issues come our way and we're ill-prepared for it, He's just trying to help us trust Him and He shows grace for the time that we fret and worry. Now, why does the psalmist lift up his eyes to the hills? Because he says very specifically, unto the hills, from whence come my help. Why to the hills? Now, it speaks of two things, I believe, several things, but the main thing would be he looks to a certain place and looks to a certain person. And that place is where typically the Jews prayed um, looking toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem's found on a mountain surrounded by hills. And if you look at Daniel's account, when he was almost forced not to pray to his God, and there was a decree that anyone that prayed to their God, uh, that they would be put in the lion's den. We see Daniel's account. Look you know, out of the window and pray like he did aforetime to that place, Jerusalem. There is where we find the temple. For the Jews, the temple meant the presence of God. And so it could be most probably a pointing to the fact that Jerusalem uh, is the place the holy place, that holy city where the psalmist is saying, I'm going to look to where, the, where God dwelt, if you will, uh, you know, before the children of Israel, and he was going to look in that direction. It could mean that. Uh, have a look at Psalm 125, just quickly. It's Psalm 125, look at verse 1. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, that abideth forever, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem. So the Lord is round about his people from hence even forever. But I really believe the place points us to the person. Okay. And, um, and we see verse 2 really uh, indicate that to us. He says, my help cometh from who? The Lord which made heaven and earth. So we understand that it really that place points us to a person. That person is the Lord. And that's where, our play, that's where our help comes from. 
Now, there are certain things in this psalm that we see that God helps us with. He protects us from. Okay, Have a look at verse 3. First of all, there's protection from a sliding hill. He says, he will not suffer thy foot to be what? Moved. God protects us from sliding or you know, perhaps um, uh, coming to the point of uh, re- re- retreating, going backward. Uh, God is able to protect us from, you know, uh, coming to the place of discouragement where we're perhaps stagnant or perhaps we're not doing much. And if anything, we, we turn back. Uh, here, the psalmist is saying that his help from God is able to keep him stable, fixed, unmovable, um, which is a place we all need to be. And a place that we are consistently unmoved, even when trouble comes. And he says, protection from a sliding hill. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. And so when we cry out to God, it will be a place where God is able to keep us stable and fixed so we can keep moving forward. He, this speaks of a foundation that we have in God. It reminds us of Jude, when Jude says, under him that he's able to keep us from falling. And he's able. Reminds me of David when he said in Psalm 62, Truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not greatly be moved. And so we see also Paul the Apostle mentions something that's encouraging. In 2 Timothy 2.19 he says, Nevertheless the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from evil be Longing to Christ is the greatest security that we can ever have. Now, to know Christ is one thing, but to be known of Him is another thing. You know, I can run to Him. It's a natural, this is what I want to say, it's a natural inclination, it's a natural thing. I run to the Lord, it's, it's all that I can do. And it, when, when I respond like that as a Christian, oh, I'm not going to be moved. He's going to sustain me, He's enabling grace. He will keep me from falling, retreating or sliding. He's able to keep me firm and fixed. doesn't matter what the trouble is. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It doesn't matter. He's able to keep me firm and fixed and stable and, you know, just, you know, allow me to keep moving forward. Now, I like what he says in that latter part of the verse. In verse 3, have a look. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. You know what that word slumber means? God's not drowsy. He doesn't slumber. He's not falling asleep. So in other words, we have a God that is awake and at working. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't have his eyes closed, ready to sleep. Uh, God never closes his eyes. He's always at watch. His ears always ready to hear our cry. He's always uh, seeking and working for our good. That's how God. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. Uh, Can you just imagine... Uh, we sleep. My, I, I'm a father. I sleep. Uh, when my kids cry out night and it's a, it's a cry of distress, I wake up and run to them. And, you know, but I'm asleep, half asleep. He's not asleep. Me, who are, you know, I'm evil. And I've got a sinful nature. God's perfect. You who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more? So God is a God that is awake, alert. He doesn't slumber. The next verse there. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall not neither slumber or sleep. In other words, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't go to 
rest himself and see we understand what happened with the disciples when they were in trouble when he was when Jesus was sleeping in the lower deck they thought that it was insensitive to their needs that was his fleshly nature that went to sleep but we know that he was still awake you know Jesus is the expressed image of God God in the flesh and though he went asleep in the flesh he was still awake he knew everything that was taking place and this is this is God I mean we, we, there's no one like him there's no one like him and so when we look at a God that doesn't slumber or sleep we look at a, a God that is alive not a dead idol not a dumb idol that is deaf not a dumb idol that is blind not a statue that was made by the hands of man and so people you know uh, you remember the time when Elijah was mocking uh, the, the prophets of Baal? And he said, he says, what's wrong? How come your God can't hear you? Is he asleep? Yeah, my God's not asleep. When I'm asleep, he's awake and at work. And you know, I really truly believe that he's actually surrounding your house and my house with his wonderful angels that he's at work. God has appointed angels for every believer. You know that. God is at work. There's a spiritual battle that's taking place. And if we're not aware of it, we, we would kind of, you know, um, spiritually be sleeping, which we shouldn't. We should always be sober and alert. And the, one of the ways to be sober and alert is to know our God and to know that he's not sleeping. He's awake and he's at work. And, and we know that and we have seen and heard in the last several weeks, months, that what we're faced with in our day and age is not a game. It's not a playground. It's a battlefield. It's serious. And we have to understand that God is awake and at work and he's not sleeping. And so we should not be sleeping spiritually. Though we are asleep physically, spiritually we should always be awake because we have the Spirit of God living within us that's always awake and wanting to work. Think about this. There are certain things that could have happened in our lives but didn't happen. In other words, there are times that you and I could have died but didn't. We don't think about those things. And the reason why that doesn't take place is because God is at work and he's maneuvering things. He's at, you know, I honestly believe that God is working all things together for good of his people and trying to help them where you know, we cannot be helped. And God is doing this. He's awakened at work. We're just, we just go, and we come, we go, and we come. We don't even know what God is doing, but God is at work. And there, are, there could be times that we could have been dead, but we didn't die because God was protecting us. I believe I should have been dead three times, and that's me knowing. Back before I knew the Lord, I should have been dead. Three times I, I should have been dead here, here, here. And the reason why I didn't die is looking back hindsight, I didn't, know, I didn't hear the gospel. Very clearly and very soberly and the whole counsel of it. I didn't hear it. I wish someone told me well, earlier. And I believe that God preserved my life and kept me. Even as an unsaved person, God sovereign, knowing the end from the beginning, is because I didn't know the true gospel. So now there are the things that I'm aware of. How, how, many, how much more of the things that we are not aware of? How many times people perhaps could have are planning and plotting and God knows it? And he's turning their bows or he's turning the rock 
that's rolling upon them and turning back. How many people, uh, I remember, I'm not going to go into the story, but I remember certain things took place in my life and, and that I didn't even know of. That someone told me uh, about certain things that had taken place and that person thought I knew, but I didn't. He thought I was completely aware of it, but I wasn't aware of it. And he told me, and he thought that I had something to, to do with it. And I had nothing to do with it. And I can only turn back and think, well, what's, God is, what's God doing? That this person, this situation had taken place in his life and he thought I had something to do with it. God is protecting me and I didn't even know it. I can't tell you the story. It's a long story, but I look back and I'm thinking, Lord, listen, I know it's probably one of these, you know, lousy terms, but he's got my back. He's got your back. God is watching and he's at work. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. He's always at work. And I thank God for that. Amen. I really do. God protects us from the sliding hill, but also he protects us from the smiting sun. Have a look at verse 5. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. Now he protects his people with his right hand to keep them safe. He's a shelter to them. He covers them. Look at verse 6. Verse 6. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. This reminds me of God's goodness. You know how the Bible talks about how the rain falls upon the just and the unjust? You know, the unjust are blessed because of the just. Rain falls upon us. God wants to bless us. And so the unjust are blessed because of us. So I believe this is something similar, not in its provision, but its protection. Can you imagine God puts up the temperature of the sun 20 degrees more? I mean, what's the highest that we've ever got? 42? And it's really hot. Can you imagine that God puts up the temperature or he caused the sun to be hotter than what it should? It would be fried. God controls the temperature of that sun. Uh, he knows how to control it. You know, they want to go and call it what? Global warming or whatever you want to call it. It's God behind the scenes. And, you know, at any time, if God wanted to, he can actually fry the world by turning the sun you know, hotter than what it is or closer to the earth. And we're finished. We're done. You know, God put the sun in the right place. Did you know that? Yeah. The right place. A little, a little bit more. See you later. He put it just in the right place. And so we see that God is a good God toward his people. Adam Clark says about this, I believe the psalmist simply means that they should not be injured by the heat or cold, by a sunstroke by day or frostbite by night. He knows how to take care of his people. Nevertheless, whatever the psalmist is talking about here, day and night, God is protecting us. 24-7, God is watching over us. He cares about us. We're pilgrims in this world. We're travelers, and God knows how to protect us even from the elements. God protects us from the sliding hill, smiting heat. But number three, protection from the sinful humans. Look at verse 7. The Lord shall preserve thee from what? All evil. When you read the Psalms, uh, you can't help notice, especially Psalm of David, over and over and over again how God wanted deliverance from the enemies. All, I mean, you see, for the most part, you know, deliver me from the enemy. We see David pursued uh, from uh, certain people after his soul. 
and, uh, and God calling out, uh, David calling out to God, wanting help from all evil. And so all evil, all enemies. But you know who's the greatest enemy? Who's the greatest enemy? David, in his Psalms, will cry out, be well aware of his what? His sinful flesh. And if it gets the best of him, he's finished. We're all done. You know why it's one of the worst enemies? Because we carry it around everywhere. It's our worst enemy even in our dreams. <laughs> even in our dreams. Wake up. Oh, why did I dream that for? That's evil. That's wicked. Oh, that's disgusting. Carry this body of death, this wicked imagination, this mind with you everywhere. God, deliver me from my outward enemies, but from the inward enemy. The flesh, the old man, perks his head up. You see, he doesn't think right. Spurgeon said, God not only keeps his own in all evil times, but from all evil influences and operations, yea, from evils themselves. God keeps us for himself. Keeps us from evil, but keeps us for himself. Did you know that God is able to even use our beloved saints to help us? Did you know that? Have a look at uh, Psalm 54, just quickly. I just want to add this in, side note. I mentioned that God can use the angels. He gives angels charge over there to keep thee in all ways. Psalm 91 verse 11. But Psalm 54 verse 3. Notice, it's very interesting here. Psalm 54, look at verse 3. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. Look at this. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Thank God for godly saints that pray for us. That are for us. That God uses to help us. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, New Testament. Paul thanks the church time and time again for helpers. For helpers. At the very same token. At the very same token, he makes mentions of those that had fled and left him for dead. But thank God for those that are helpers of God. Thank God. I really appreciate God's people. Help us and keep us in such a way in prayer that we would not fall into temptation. If you see a brother fall into sin that is not unto death, pray for him and be delivered. Thank God for God's people that generally pray for us and God that will keep us from evil. But go back to Psalm 121, look at verse 7. Look at the end part of that verse. It says, The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. Now, I believe thy soul is an eternal aspect. God is able to preserve me now and forever. He's able to preserve my soul. Look at verse 8. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and coming in from this time forth and even forever. Even forever. Can you imagine that God will forever protect us and keep us from evil? Keep us from the evil darts of the devil, the wicked you know, devices of the devil. It keeps us from uh, death. Thank God for that. Um, and we know that God has given us this victory through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in God's hand, protected. In God's hand, doubly protected. No man can pluck us out. We are guarded. We are protected. And thank God for that. You know, there was one day, and when you got saved, if you're saved here today, 
your heart looked up. And for the Christian, it looked up to a place called Calvary. That was on a hill far away. To a Christian, that place meant something. But the place, Calvary, on a hill, pointed us to Christ. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I draw all men unto me. And we looked up and we lived. And we thank God for that. Amen. And guess what? We live forever. Forever. Now, I don't know about you, but that's special. Amen. That's the only way, by the way, that you can get saved by looking up to Christ. There's no other way. You look to the law, it's going to curse you. You look to within you, you're, you know, trying to do good works, you're finished. But when you look to Christ, who finished the greatest work that can ever be done on the cross, you will look and you will live. You look, you believe, and God, through the Spirit of God, uh, will cause you to be born again. You'll be part of God's family. And it's a wonderful thing. And that started when you looked to Christ and you called upon Him, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Look at verse 2 again as we wrap it up. Look at verse 2. It says, My help cometh from the Lord, which made the heaven and the earth. Direct us to a place, to a person. I really also believe it directs us to the power of that person, the power of God. Why does God, why does the psalmist here direct us to a, the person, the Lord who made heaven and earth? Why? Why? I believe God is trying to show us that the omnipotence of God in creating the universe and everything there is in that universe. He created it all. The stars, the moon, the sun, the hills, everything, the ocean, the humans, the animals, everything that you see in the world, God created that by His own hand. And so when we look to the One who made all things, we're looking to His omnipotent power. God is able. When we look at things that take place in our life and we think, this is impossible. Well, we, we serve the God of the impossible. Amen. If it's according to His will, then He's going to work it. I believe that with all my heart. God is able. Whatever is according to His will, He's able to do and He can do it. Very easily. He can stop time. He can blind those people that are planning and plotting. He can put them in a derision. God can do things that are out of our control. He can add 10 more years to our life if he wanted to. He can add a cubit to our stature if he felt like it. Yeah. I believe he can if he wanted to and if it was according to his will. Absolutely. I know he can. I know he can raise the dead. Yeah, there was a man who was talking, he says, trying to witness to him in Foster, he said, you're, you know, you're talking to a dead man. I said, what do you mean? He goes, mate, I was dead, and now um, I'm alive. They, they, they revived me. I said, you know, the only reason perhaps you're alive is because if you died and you didn't know Christ, you're going straight to a devil's hell. Perhaps God has given you another chance so you can believe the gospel. And this is where we see the power of the resurrection. God is able to raise the dead. You know, when he comes back again, we're going to look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Jesus 
directs us to look up. When we're going to see certain things take place that's going to cause our heart to fail, whether you like it or not, it does it when it will. It's going to cause man's heart to fail. God wants us to look up. That's the only place. Because that place is a place of prayer. This is what the psalmist is directing us to. Because where there is prayer, there is power. Lift up your eyes to the hills. This is where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. And when we cry out and call, we involve him in our lives. And if you don't do that, I'm not going to say to you that you're not going to be protected because this is God's hand over his children. But listen, this is ought to be a, a habit that we exercise ourselves to do. God is able to protect us even when we don't look up, but we need to make it a habit that we look up because if we don't, even though God is protecting us and teaching us, we're going to be failing to do the very things that God has called us to do in these last days. We're going to be in a corner. We're going to be our head low. We're going to be rendered useless. Nothing. Inoperable. Finished. We can't live like this. We must have the power of God upon our lives, even if we're in prison, even when we're in a fiery furnace. Doesn't matter where we are or what's taking place, we must look in the right direction. We must. And down is not the right place. Down is the right place for humility when the publican would not so much lift up his eyes. Yes, that also must take place. But when we look up, you can still have your heart bowed down. I love looking up to the hills out here. The little hills. I like looking up. I like looking to see the great lights and seeing the great man, torch of God. We saw it shining upon the ocean. God's torch. I'll send you a photo. It's unbelievable. It looked like a, it looked like a runway on the ocean. It was just the moon was so bright, shining down upon the ocean, and it looked like a runway. It was amazing. It was incredible. It was unbelievable. It's the God we serve. He's awake and he's living. And he wants to work in our hearts. I think I've got a little time to do this tonight. I want to do it. Go to Isaiah 40. We'll close with this. I think it will help all of us. This illustration has helped me to no end time and time again. Isaiah 40. Sometimes when I share the same illustrations again, it's twofold. First is sometimes we have new people. But second, some of these illustrations just encourage me over and over again. It helps me, the biblical illustrations. Have a look at uh, verses 10. Look at verse 10 of Isaiah 40. He says, Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Look at this. I want, I want you to see the, the power of God. Who's the shepherd that's going to rule and lead us? Who have measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. I want you to see this. Now think about all the body of water, the Pacific Ocean, one of the greatest body of water, right? He has measured the waters. What is it? He has measured the waters in the hollow of his 
hand, every body of water that you can actually think of. God carries it just like this. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in deep sea, but when you're in deep sea, mate, you're so vulnerable. Mate, the, the, the ocean is not a respecter of persons. You're nothing compared to this little... It's nothing to God. He holds it in the hollow of his hand. Just the water's like this. And then if you keep reading, and he meted out the heavens with a spam. So, you know, not just the heavens where the birds, you know, uh, fly, but the heavens, the universe. Think about the vast universe. God covers it just like this. He measures it with his hand like this. That's how big God is. Now, that, that's all, you know, the scriptures is trying to depict to us that we have a big God. That God is just able to measure the whole universe with his hand like this. And uh, if we keep reading, and he meted out the heavens with a spam and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. So if he gathers all the dust of the earth, he gathers it in a measure. He just, it's like a, all the dust, he can just gather it like this in a measure. A pinch of salt to him. It's nothing. It's, a, it's, it's, it's amazing what the scriptures are trying to illustrate to us. It's trying to illustrate to us that we have a big God. And then uh, talks about uh, and weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills <laughs> in a balance. <laughs> now that's all the mountains and hills that you can think of. You know, it's just nothing to him. It's nothing. Uh, when we lift up our eyes to those things, we're only reminded of God's power. And then, who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, who hath been his counsellor, who hath taught him? With whom took he counsel? Who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? He says this, look at this. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. So all the nations in the world, all the countries in this world, right? The sun... Uh, the writer says it's just, oh, just one drop will do. There it is there. There goes Lebanon. There goes Australia. There goes the US. Just the drop in the bucket. You know, this helps me to no end. That the, This whole world is just a drop in this bucket. And we're nothing. We're nothing in the solar system in this universe. We're, 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 how much more we? We're a speck of dust. Not even. God looks down as he sees later on. He looks as if we're like grasshoppers. It's nothing. Little small insects. But, you know, sometimes we think we're big shots, but we're not. We're nothing. We're nothing. And we're especially nothing without God. And sometimes God is trying to show us this. And we just need to grasp it. Because the more we grasp it, the more we realize that we need God. We need him Without Him, we are nothing, we can do nothing, and in a sense that we won't be able to even breathe. He says to the rich man in the parable, have you ever thought about this, that the rich man in the parable was spoken by God? Don't you know that God can require your soul at any moment, any time? He says, come on, see you later. You're living for the here and now, I can actually just take you at any moment, and He can. You know, he can just take the breath of life out of us. We're gone. We're finished. 
But we live like we're never going to die. So the most people, they live like that. They live like as if they're indispensable. They're, they're, they're never going to die. They're just going to live forever. We're not. It's amazing how a little paper cut can annoy us. Just a little paper cut can annoy us for the whole day. So feeble people. And God shows us how we're just so feeble and we need him. And uh, we can continue to read. I want, we'll, just, we'll drop it down. Have a look at verse 25. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high. And behold, who hath created these things? That bringeth out their host by number. And calleth them all by names. By the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power. Not one faileth. Praise God. Look at verse 28. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. He doesn't slumber or sleep. He doesn't get tired. There's no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might. He increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utter, utterly what? For but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Even the youths, they're able to fall. Without God, they're finished. They're done. I thank God that the Hebrew writer even just confirms with us, with the psalmist, He says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things that ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, boldly, confidently, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Why? Because the Lord is my helper. Yeah. Look up and look up the right direction. Praise God. Let's pray.